Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back. Mile 40 is rocking and rolling, and I am very excited um, to join you all today with a very special guest. Cody Jefferson is a father, entrepreneur, public speaker, life and business coach, and he is the founder of Embrace the Lion. Cody is noted as the guy that seven to 10 figure founders hire to continue scaling without sacrificing their souls on the altar of their success. Cody's story is is pretty deep. And I'm going to do something a little bit different this episode, something that I haven't done on previous episodes. Instead of having Cody kind of walk through his story and, and share it with us. Um, I think he has a lot to share. And, and so I kind of want to run through some of the details and, and give you guys some background here. Cody went through a very public divorce in 2016. He then went on to become a single parent. His younger brother went to prison. He ended up burying eight family members and friends in unrelated tragedies, including an 18 month old niece, his mentor and his hero, his best friend of 17 years and his little sister. He found himself dying in a hospital bed, septic and in complete adrenal and hormonal shutdown due to stress and anxiety of all the above, all while trying to show up and play the role of a pastor. He was a pastor to that point of up to 13 years. They called his family in because he wasn't supposed to make it. He had been able to sustain throughout all this. And while he loved his season of occupational ministry, it became clear that he was sacrificing his soul on the altar of success. Cody, that is a lot for someone to take in in about 30 seconds of me kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, feeding. So, so it's funny as a communicator, somebody yeah. who speaks for a living, you know, there's and for being a pastor for so long, all I've done is, you know, stages for 20 years. There's a there's a relative threshold of pain that you walk people through. So you want your story Anytime you're walking somebody through a narrative, you want it to be relatable so they can insert themselves in the story. You know, this was sales and anything else. You want them to feel like they're a part of it. There comes a point, though, which is why I'm very careful with the amount of information that I share in my story at any given time, because it reaches that point where it's like, well, I can't relate to this anymore. That's a lot of trauma yeah. in a short amount of time. And it is. It is. Absolutely. But by the way, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So all this happened within the last six years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's backtrack a little bit. What was life before before 2016 like? Dude, so life wasn't bad. Okay. Uh, I, I, I found myself in occup, like, like occupational ministry at 19. And okay. so there was no... Listen, before that, I was I managed a garage through high school. I did really well in school. Um, I don't have the, you know, barely graduated. I was top of my class, did really well academically. Managed a garage, I'm licensed barber. So I've been wrenching on cars and cutting hair for 20-something years now. Um, at 19, I found myself in a coffee shop with the owner of the garage that I was managing, uh, because I didn't want to go to church. He kept inviting me find myself because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, sure. very, very small, never knowing that coffee shops could exist inside of churches, okay. uh, let alone they could look like concert halls. 
And so I find myself here, actually really like it, fall in love with it. No real like burning bush moment, no like dream on top of a mountain, like mm -hmm. God didn't speak to me. It was just that I loved people, obviously. I, I loved I loved working with them. I loved serving them. Uh, I was a musician, still am, was a professional musician for 10 years throughout my uh, ministry tenure. And so there were some pieces at 19 in the charismatic evangelical mega church that made a lot of sense. I was good on stage. Uh, I wasn't bad to look at. I yeah. could speak well. I could sing. I could play an instrument. And really, like, that was all you needed. Like, hey, let's put him on stage and let's see how he does. And that began a really beautiful season of ministry. Yeah. So the the problem came into play yeah. uh, as I walked through. And yes, I ended up getting married uh, when I was in ministry. We had a son. as my son, Stetson. Sure. Uh, you know, we are amazing co-parents now. But what happened, and I think many people can relate to this, I got involved in ministry or in, in serving people so early, really, because I, I, one, I didn't know who I was. Yep. Two, I was a relatively, for as confident as I was, I was actually pretty insecure. And it gave me a sense of purpose. Yep. And it allowed me to fix things. It allowed me to, I mean, obviously mechanic, bar, but like, sure. allowed me to fix things. And so long as I was fixing things, so long as I was useful, I felt that I had value. The problem came into play because like my job was God and God was my job. Sure. And I didn't know where one ended. And I grew up hearing uh, that there was so much potential in mm -hmm. my life from the time I was a kid. Sure. You know, I'm eight years old playing piano at church and... Um, all I'm hearing is God's going to do such big things through you. God, you. He's got such a plan for you. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. But as somebody who puts a lot of pressure on themselves, I didn't know what that meant. It just meant that I can't ever say no. I can't stop. I can't shut it off because if that's the case, that I'm not living up to my potential and I'm letting God down and then I'm letting my family down and then I'm not worth loving and I don't know who I am. So it, it created this really interesting vacuum yeah. of being a yes man, of overworking, of overcommitting myself, of putting my family on the back burner, saying it was for them, yeah. right? This is for you. This is all for you. Like you just have to understand this is call on my life. No, it was actually because of my own insecurities. And so that's where the whole sacrificing your soul on the altar of your success, that whole tagline comes from, is so many times we'll make excuses and justify it through saying that we're doing something for our family because of the way that we were raised or some trauma that we experienced when really we're just putting it back on them. It just may, you know, it may just be a different color. And no, you, sorry, go make ahead. No, you had said something interesting as you were kind of explaining, um, you know, that potential that was laid upon you and, and the mm -hmm. idea of like, you know, you could do so much, but one yeah. thing kind of stood out to me in, in the context of all this, a lot of this was human expectation. What totally. would you say, you know, was your level of, you know, your spirituality at that point at a young age? That's a great question. I didn't really even know. Like I grew up in the Baptist church. Yeah. My grandfather was a deacon. We traveled and did gospel singing conventions. Like it was a good time. I understood service. I understood mm -hmm. that we took care of people. We took the meals. We went to the hospital all the time. I understood all of that side of things. As far as a deep theological understanding, there was a lot that I couldn't reconcile. And I wasn't unintelligent. And so some of the framings and ideas behind um, my religious practice didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, not on paper. And so 
again, getting into working for the church at 19, genuinely, I had a very sincere heart, but I had no theological understanding of what I was doing. Who does? I mean, honestly, who does at 19? No, that that's true. And, I guess to to dig in a little bit deeper, yeah. was there ever a feeling within you that you were put on this earth for this purpose to to serve others? Or did that maybe come about later? Um, sure. Well, I think the way that I was raised, that is the purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the purpose for everyone. Yeah. I, to go and to bear fruit, to bear the kingdom of God on earth, you know, as it is in heaven, to be all things to all people, to be a servant, which I mean, really is to put yourself last and to put everyone else first. And that is the expectation. Sure. It's not sustainable. But that is the, it wasn't sustainable for me, but that is the expectation. So what I've learned over time is that my potential, my purpose, purpose is, is everywhere. It's yeah. in everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Like, this conversation is part of my purpose. When I pick my son up from school today, that's part of my purpose. When I put on wrestling shoes and we go to wrestling practice tonight, that's part of my purpose. When I wake up in the morning and go through a morning routine and I let my dogs outside, that's part of my, it's everything. Yeah. And potential I've learned isn't so much something that God is calling you to live up to as an expectation, but it's a promise that you get to live from. And so it takes some of the pressure off. Yeah. And so for me, the, the conversation now is, you know, if it makes sense, if it makes sense towards who I'm becoming. So purpose is who do I say that I am and who do I who do I want to become in this life? Yeah. And in mapping that out and getting very, very quantifiable with that, right? Then I set a series of frameworks in order and I set parameters in my life and I set boundaries in my life and I set habit structures in my life that confirm that identity. Do I always feel like it? No. Do I always feel like going to the gym? No. Do I like do I always feel like eating healthy? No. Do I always feel like doing certain things? No, but you do them because it confirms who it is that you say that you are. So I live by the mantra now that like, this is who I am. So this is what I do. Got it. And at, at what point was that mantra kind of developing or, or you know, starting yeah. to be instilled? I would say 2000. So in 2017, I stepped out of occupational ministry. People ask me why I say that. Uh, and it's because I feel like I'm more a pastor now than I was then. Mm-hmm. It's just the pulpit, you know, was preparation for this platform. Sure. And I don't have any of the politics that I need to adhere to. And sure. there's nothing that's off limits for me to say. And there's no ways in which, you know, uh, I have limits on how I can walk with people. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, um, I would say in 2017, mm-hmm. That's really when this crystallization started to happen. And I started to really shift my identity and started to really shift into who I believe that next evolution and next version of myself is taught her. I'm going to call it like that alter ego effect, um, who that kind of 2.0 version of me is and who who I would want my son to look at and be like, man, I, I want to be just like you, dad. Got it. And live it out. And for context for the listeners, you know, sure. the timeline is that you know, in 2016, you had gone through your divorce, mm-hmm. which was yep. public in nature. Yeah, um, because I was it, a pastor. No yep. big, there was no big scandal or anything. Like it wasn't yep. like, a, it wasn't anything cool. Yeah, um, yeah. but you're a figurehead. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, and anytime, but, anytime yeah. there's a figurehead and you know yeah. it, it's like yeah. the ceo of a company going through a divorce essentially exactly um, and there was and, no that's not why i stepped out of that's not yeah. why i stepped out of ministry i stepped out of ministry because continuing to say yes in the midst of everything that was walking through never getting a break never being able to give myself like it was killing me yeah and i recognized that over a two-year period, I had five other friends in ministry put guns in their mouths and take their own lives due to the stress and overwhelm of having to be on all the time and not knowing how to comprehend putting yourself first because it's not what we're taught to do. Yeah. So that's really where Embrace the Lion came from. Yeah. And and that's where this confirmation of identity came from. I, I love that for so many reasons. I mean, I think first and foremost, one of the things that I'm intentional about is um, being open about my failures because, and we had talked about this before. Yeah. My father is a spiritual leader as well. He's a priest. And one of the things that I've noticed over time is that that expectation of just being perfect all the time um, and, you know, making it known to others that, you know, failure is normal. We're all human. You know, we all go through, um, you know, our own shit and, and it's just, yeah. it, it's part of life. Um, and, and no one is perfect essentially. Um, when you, made that decision to step away um was that a decision you made on your own or did you have you know mentors guiding you at that point so i didn't i didn't have any at the time okay. uh, all of my mentors were pastors mm -hmm. and so i can't say that i didn't have mentors i didn't have anyone in my ear saying this is what you should do mm -hmm. uh it was a time where i recognized that i had been listening to what everybody else wanted for my life for so long that i was going to listen to myself and I was going to bet on myself. And so, no, there was no outside ear. This was a decision that I made to take my life back and to create something and to lead in a way that I felt I was. I'm very mindful to use words like called or anything mm -hmm. else. Sure. Like, I just, I feel like they've been manipulated ad nauseum. Sure. Uh, I think the whole idea of purpose has been manipulated ad nauseum by personal development and by charismatic evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, I think we've made it a commodity yeah. and a sellable product. And your purpose isn't a sellable product. It is not yeah. something you just find. It's something that you create. And so I recognize that this is what I wanted my purpose to include and that I was made for it. Like I like you walk through that much and you recognize, okay, shoot, maybe I'm, maybe I'm built a little different and maybe I have a capacity inside of me and maybe there's a reason for all of this. And maybe there's, maybe there's lessons inside of all of this trauma and tragedy. And maybe the ways in which I've lived up to this point, which in some ways are frustrating, in some ways are embarrassing, in some ways feel like a failure. And in some ways I have failed. I don't have to assign myself the identity of being a failure how can i learn from this and how can i then transform all of this trauma so that i don't then transmit it to other people what was your level of conviction at the time you know when you had decided to bet on yourself was i mean you had mentioned Bro, that i was so in listen yeah. i was like dude i was scared yeah like no like it's not like a you know God had charted out the path for me, and I just knew. No nah, bullshit. No, nah, dude. Yeah. I just knew that th like this felt right to me, but yeah. I did not have like the like super sexy story of you know like I I left, I, I quit my job, and dude, within six days, I had made my first six figures, and like here's my ninety seven yeah. course on how you can. <laughs> this do the isn't same. that entrepreneurial dude, like but corporate that. America, and that. then you no. know started and founded a company. 
No, uh, dude, I just I started sharing my story online. I started sharing what I was walking through. I started sharing that I didn't actually know what like I needed. I needed to figure out what I believed. Yeah, I need to deconstruct everything because I wasn't sure if like I was indoctrinated to believe this. I wasn't sure if I was just paid, mm -hmm. like saying what I was paid to say. And like, that's what I'm supposed to believe. I didn't know. And I had studied this academically for like 10 years, like, but I wasn't sure. I'm like, I need to figure this out for myself. And there was no, there was no framework on how to create the life that I wanted. And that's where all this started. It's like, okay, I'm not setting out to build some program for men i'm really just setting out to save my life and to build a framework for my life that's sustainable that allows me to be the man and the father that i'm called to be got it and that's got where it. this started got right it. but it wasn't sexy dude i was man i was flipping harleys out of my garage i was after those that don't know what that means that means i was taking harleys that weren't running getting them yep. running painting them doing some fun stuff and then selling them for a profit i was cutting hair out of the front room of my house I was doing graphic design. I was doing web design for local businesses. Um, I was doing piano lessons, guitar lessons, vocal lessons. I was playing bars on the weekends. Like I was doing, like, it was just not sexy. I was doing everything. But dude, I loved it because I knew what my monthly burn was. I knew what I needed to make and I made it. And there was something really satisfying about the fact that I was making it happen. Was there any ever any sort of backlash uh like did you for instance run into members of your community after? Oh, yeah, yeah like things like things like yeah. that and the reason i ask is because for the con context of the listeners i want to i want them to kind of get the picture of what your relationship was with the church yeah. after that period and where it is now so that way we yeah. can kind of understand that yeah so when i stepped out of ministry i obviously stopped going to the church that I was like, I was pastoring up just so it wasn't confusing for people. Sure. I love, I love that community. I loved everyone that I walked with. Like it was a very sincere and real part of my life sure. and a part of my evolution and my journey. Um, I needed to take a break, dude. I hadn't had like a Sunday off in like 13 years. Like I didn't yeah. take time off. I worked seven days a week all the time. Yeah. And like, that was normal. Yeah. So dude, not having, I remember the first Easter and like the first Christmas where like I didn't have to plan anything. <laughs> and I, 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 it was the most odd feeling because I mean, I'd done this since like my entire twenties. I mean, this is my whole adult life. Yeah. This is all I knew was, I mean, a lot of church is production and yeah. a lot of it is the show and there's discipleship on the backside of that, but there's a lot of front door getting people in, you know, your, your top of funnel. Sure. And, uh, to not be in the midst of all of that. So stepped out for a little bit, right? Again, no bad parting with, yep. with my community. Uh, when I started sharing pieces of my story, mm -hmm. when I started sharing that, you know, there were seasons in ministry that I did, I did not, I caught like atheist flu yeah. at least once a month. I don't know what I believe. I don't know. I'm doing all these things and I can walk with people and I can share with them, but also recognizing that like, I had a really cheap grace for people yeah. in my twenties. Yeah. I hadn't walked through enough, yeah. like on the backside of walking through everything that I walked through. Uh, I felt like, I mean, I did the best with what I had at the time or what I knew, but like, I was just so irresponsible. And so I spoke into that. I started sharing about that, like how irresponsible we are to just simply pray over people 
like it's some magic band-aid and how you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the cost of discipleship talks about this idea of cheap grace and how that's what we offer and that's never what this was supposed to be about and there's no accountability and there's no autonomy and like that started rubbing people the wrong way and bro listen like for those of you that are listening or watching um, or like if you happen to like this and you want to look me up, I'm covered in tattoos. Yeah. I don't sound like someone that's covered in tattoos. That always throws people off because I don't know what they expect me to sound like. <laughs> but I mean, I've got like a skull on my left hand. Like I've got like I'm covered from my knuckles all the way up my arms, on my neck, my chest, my stomach. I mean, I am I'm just a walking coloring book. And I wasn't that, and I had a few tattoos yeah. in ministry, but this, again, this was me defining who I am. I was 130, 135 pounds in ministry. I'm like almost 180 of pure muscle now. I, I didn't have a beard. Yeah. In for, for the listeners out there. It's, yeah, a, it's a drastic change. So people would see me even now, like I'll run into people who I have not seen in years. And I am physically a very different human being. Yeah. And even from a standpoint of my confidence and my certainty in who I am, like I'm a different human being. Got it. And so uh, that, that, has, that, that shakes people up at times. Yeah. Sure. No, no, I, I can, I can very much imagine. So, um, you know, it, it, it's crazy to kind of hear, um, a story like this, because there's so many moving parts, you know, there's who you are yes. on the outside, there's what you looked like several years ago, and what you look yeah. like now. Yeah, but I think more than anything, it's really who you are on, on the inside. Absolutely. And we haven't even dug in yet into what happened after that. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. I know I kind of gave the yeah. outline earlier with regards to, you know, your family members and, and, mm -hmm. and kind of that that season. But can sure. you give a little bit more context? Yeah, I mean, context in, in, in which way? In like who passed or why they like? Yeah, yeah. If you can give a little sense into the, like the, the 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 sense of the tragedies that you had. Oh, to kind sure. Of face. Yeah. And, so yep. recognize listeners, uh, if uh, th this this could, I'll, I'll keep it as PG as possible. Sure. This could be traumatic for you. So just understand, it's going to be a lot of loss in a short period of time. Okay. Um, so uh, my son's mom let me know that she wanted to not be together, um, which in the moment caught me by surprise. Cause I, I really, I mean, I was working a lot again, like I was 18 hours a day at the church. Like I was doing my thing. I didn't realize that I was putting a wedge like I on paper and on social media and in front of the church, like it was perfect. I don't like, so boom, that happens. Uh, about a month later, my 18 month old niece um, was murdered. And it was the worst case of sexual assault to a minor on Oklahoma record, 18 months old. Um, I will not go into detail of that. Um, sure. Very traumatic. Sure. Um, I, I then had an aunt unexpectedly pass away. Um, my mentor of 15 years died in a motorcycle accident. My best friend of 18 years uh, passed away of an accidental overdose, um, ended up burying him on my birthday. And I, I'm leading all these funerals, by yeah, the way, because yeah. remember, I'm the pastor. Yeah. My sister-in-law um, took her own life. 
um, as a result of obviously everything that's happening uh, with her daughter. Um, one of my best friends in ministry, somebody that I'd walked with since the beginning of my ministerial journey, um, took his own life, leaving behind three kids and a wife at his funeral. Uh, my 19-year-old sister went home for lunch, just the sweetest kid in the whole world. And um, someone was in her apartment, uh, an intruder, a guy that was high, and ended up strangling her to the point of unconsciousness and held her hand as she died and led all those funerals. So there's a lot of trauma in, and a lot to see and a lot to witness um, in, the, in the course of 12 months while trying to navigate walking through a divorce and what that looks like and be a healthy co-parent and and do things in an agreeable fashion and show up for my son and show up for my church community um, because that doesn't stop and so long as you can keep the machine going they're okay with you keeping the machine going you know there's the there's the platitude if you're doing okay you're good you're all right you're good i'm good i'm good what else can you be i don't at this point i don't i don't in movies in like war scenes you'll you'll sometimes see like where there's like an aftershock and there's just a ringing. Yeah. You know, there's like, there's like an explosion and like, they're just looking around, they're kind of dazed and they're just kind of going through the motions. They don't know where they're like, just kind of going. That was me. I was just going. I like every, every day was ringing in my ears. Right. Metaphorically. And um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Meanwhile, like I'm not really sleeping. Yeah. I don't really pay attention to that because I'm not really tired. Yeah. I fall asleep and I have night terrors because of everything that I had seen and witnessed. And like, that's just not something that like, there's just a lot to watch in, in a short amount of time. And so I'm not really sleeping. I'm not really eating, but I'm not really hungry. So I don't really notice. And um, my son's over and I'm starting to get sick. Like I'm feeling, I'm not feeling well. And to the point where I'm like, mm, like I'm like, this isn't normal. And I'm, I'm not okay. So I call my, my son's mom and we have this agreement like, Hey, if you're ever like super sick or something else, just call we'll, like, we'll all other come or you'll come and we'll figure it out. So I called her. I'm like, dude, I'm not good. So she comes over. And by the time she gets there, I'm apparently going in and out of consciousness. I, I guess I, I'm telling her I'm fine. Like I just, I need to take step because like, I'm just very sick. I'm like throwing up. I'm, I'm just not okay she's like no you're going to the hospital i'm like i'm fine i'm fine apparently she like drugged me into like her car mm -hmm. because i was going in and out of right. consciousness maybe I, like I, maybe i helped i don't remember um and there i was in the hospital going septic and uh unconscious for three days on the third day i did rise again hmm. <laughs> um and it was in that moment, dude, I was like 123 pounds. And uh, I stood up, I was just frail looking at myself and I had a hospital gown. I was like, how did I get this hospital gown on? Yeah. Uh, I stand up, I recognize there's nothing on under the hospital gown. So I close that up on the back because I'm not, you know, I don't want any nurses to stumble in their walk, obviously, like, <laughs> don't check me out. Uh, I grab the IV tree, I go into the bathroom. I don't even recognize myself, dude. Yeah. I looked at like look like like just look dead. Yeah. And uh I started asking myself a series of questions. I'm like, who's here? And it wasn't an indictment. 
It wasn't a, it was on, it was not a question of judgment or indictment. It's just like, dude, you've been making hospital visits almost every day for 13 years. Yeah. Who's here? Nobody. Fuck. It's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it in the context of I'm like, hold seven on. Seven days a week to serve others and not. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm like, nobody. Yeah, You've I'm like, nobody's everything here. Everything everyone's gone through and no one was there. I'm like, nobody's when here. You're in that moment. And it was okay. I wasn't mad at anybody. Yeah. I just recognized. So it was in that, in that room. And I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, man, like, this is the legacy you're going to leave your son. He's going to grow up and he's going to say, yeah, I didn't know my dad. He died when I was young. But, but I do know, like, Man, he 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 really he really served the church hard. It killed him. Yeah. So it's like he's gonna be resentful to the church. Like, what's gonna happen here? And I was drowning, and I recognized I was drowning. And when nobody was there, it was like the this voice said, "There's nobody obviously here, so nobody's coming to save you. So you can either keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna drown, or you can swim your ass to shore and you can figure some things out." And so then I asked myself this question, okay, well then what needs to die in me to become the man I said I'd be? And that's the question that is the entire, I mean, you see it right here, like what needs to die in me? What needs to die in me to become the man that I said I'd be? That is, the, that is our mantra in Embrace the Lion. That is the question every man asks himself every single day. And then we quantifiably answer it, and then we back that answer up with action. And so that started the journey of me becoming the man that I felt I was called to be the father, the co-parent, the partner, um, as it would turn out, the entrepreneur, business owner, business partner, speaker, communicator, investor. Here I we think are. One thing that I really kind of want the listeners to kind of soak in from this is how you digested that moment of realizing you were in this alone. Uh, well, and dude, like, so what's interesting about being a yes man and like doing all things for all people is it also gives you like a hall pass, like bitch about it. Yeah. So you get to be a victim to it. Yeah. Like, well, people just need so much for me. And like, I just never get a break. And it's like, nah, you do that to yourself, but you do that to yourself. So you can bitch about the way that you feel. And it somehow pacifies the dopamine that you're not getting anymore. And it's not until you can take full ownership of where you're at and take full ownership that where you're at is your fault and that everything you have and you don't, or you don't have in your life is a result of choices that you've made. Right. And now we may not be always be able to choose situations and circumstances that happen to us. Yeah. But we can choose how we respond and we yeah. can choose how we move forward and we can choose the tenacity with which we move forward. We can choose the ownership that we move forward through. Or we can choose to be victims. And in that moment, I just refused to be a victim. And it wasn't that I was negating what I'd experienced. It wasn't that I was trying to brush it under the rug and act like it didn't happen. Yeah. I just didn't want it to define me. Yeah. And I didn't want to go back and be coddled by anything. Yeah. I needed to move forward. And I recognized like, man, I've I've held too many people's hands that have died. Like for me to take this breath, they'll never have. They'll never have this breath yeah. for granted. Won't do it. So yeah. I don't do it. I like that you said you wouldn't let it define you. Actually, the subtitle of Break Barriers is how setbacks can dare you rather than define you. Um, Look at us all kindred right now. We're having a moment right now. So there Listeners. it is. Because for me, 
you know, that was always the way that I kind of yeah. per, uh, perceived setbacks through the lessons that I've learned in life was mm-hmm. they're not there to define you. They're, they're, right. they're really just there to kind of say, hey, like, you know, I dare you to make this better. All right. I sure. dare you to take the cards that you've been dealt and figure out a way to work with them. Because the truth of the matter is, and I've said this before many a times, is that someone will always take your deck. Someone will always take your hand, excuse me, yeah. and figure out a way to win with it. Yeah. Um, and, and your hand you know, was a pretty shitty hand. Um, it you know, was rough. You, it was rough. It was rough. But at the end of the day, there were elements of it that, you know, you understood were, yeah. were learning moments. Yeah. Um, and even, w- even when I didn't understand, and there's a lot now that I, st- there's a lot about the loss and like, that doesn't ever make sense. Yeah. De- death often, especially murder and suicide, and like, those never make sense. Yeah. There's no rationalizing those. There's no getting over that. There's no getting over the loss of people that you love. You get through it. Yeah. And you you figure it out as you go. And there are healthy ways to do that and there are unhealthy ways to do that. Right. But you move through it. It, it, It's interesting. I can remember as long as, as I've been aware, there's this desire. Um, and you'll know this because of your background as well, that like we sing songs of, you know, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours or take my life. And like, I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel when we talk about God. Like, I want to lose my life to find it. No, you don't. You actually don't. Really pretty songs to sing, really pretty words to sing on a Sunday. And then you get to go back to your comfort on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. But to actually walk through hell, to be there, to sit in it, that fire is refining and there is no other way to be refined but through fire. And so pain and adversity are some of the greatest gifts that we can be given if we'll choose to see it that way. And not in some like weird masochistic way, but in a way that it is, it is producing and cultivating a seasoning inside of you that cannot be formed any other way. You would not be who you are today had you not had cancer as a child. Yeah. There's no like you there's Same. no way. Yeah. So it didn't happen to you, it did happen for you. Yep. Again, really cute charismatic things to say on the backside of an experience. Yeah. But in the middle of it, you're not thinking, man, I'm so grateful to go through this right now. This is exactly what I wanted <laughs> my childhood to look and feel like. This is exactly what I pictured. This is this is for sure what I prayed for. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think uh, adversity um, and, and those dire moments really to your use your own word, really refine you um, in a way that can't be described and honestly can't be repeated. And sometimes uh, with certain situations, you realize how you came out so much stronger out of it. In your case, I will say, obviously a lot different than my case, but you almost want, you almost start to seek out. You do start to seek out more moments like that, more moments yeah. of, yeah. of, uh, discomfort. you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to be careful with it. Right. You can't go yeah. being like, you know, Taylor Swift getting in a relationship just to write a new breakup song. Exactly. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't go look, but you do, you find that the beauty of life exists on riding that edge. Yes, absolutely. And when, when things start to get comfortable, you recognize that there's a dissonance in your soul because you've come become accustomed in a way that some people never will. So, and that's a real gift 
too. Absolutely. That the adversity has created inside of you this this beacon and an awareness that you, there is no course for that. You can't manufacture that. I can't teach that to you, right? You have to go through it. And when you can go through it and not be a victim on the other side, recognize that, okay, there might be some situations where you could identify as a victim for sure, but you refuse to. Then you look for the lesson on the other side and you look for the teaching, you look for the wisdom, and then you implement that wisdom yeah, you start to ride that edge because you recognize like that's the sweet spot of life. Yeah. Like I I, I don't want to be comfortable. No. I, I want to be content, but I don't want to be complacent. Yeah. So the saying goes that, you know, once you start to feel comfortable in a room, it's when you identify you're you're not in the right room. Exactly. Um and, and so you're you're absolutely spot on with that as being the sweet spot. Um, I know we only have another 10 minutes or so. And sure. so I want to make sure that we walk the listeners through a little bit more of how we got to where we are today. And, um, you know, as we talked about before we recorded, the premise here is to walk people through that pit to peak trajectory. And we very much kind of talked about the pit, you know, there's a lot going on there. And for all the listeners out there, um, look up Cody after this, because (laughs) there's no, you know, this isn't a story of like this one moment in life. And then all of a sudden he bounced back. It was one thing after the other um, and across different arenas of his life. Um, But clearly it was in that period, um, you know, he dug within, um, started to come to terms with who he wanted to be, not only to himself, but to the world around him. And he reshaped himself completely not just from a career perspective but also from just a day-to-day human perspective um and so let's talk a little bit more around what it is that you're doing today let's talk about if you can just kind of break down for the listeners what is embrace the lion so they can understand that um and we can go from there yeah so it was originally embrace the lion of the tribe of judah but yeah, that as a like email address <laughs> was super cumbersome. The original tagline was helping pastors take guns out of their mouths. That was a super weird t-shirt. So it's uh, it has embraced the line. It's helping good men become great and helping great men create movements. So this started in 2017 with four pillars, head, heart, health, and habits. So head meaning your thoughts, your belief system, what you think, what you feel, your heart, your relationships to yourself, first and foremost, to those around you, your family, and then to God or whatever you call God. I work primarily exclusively with guys who follow the same spiritual trajectory that I do. I just talk about Jesus so much that it probably wouldn't make sense if you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we have health. So that is your physical body. You got one vessel to change this world in. So we want to make sure that's in, in top-notch shape. Uh, most of the guys that we walk with our former athletes or athletic in some capacity. And so we gamify all of that and uh, all of our guys get super shredded. And, uh, and we love that because we get to be the dads that look like superheroes. And then fourth is habits. So how you treat your time. So how you treat your mind, how you treat your relationships, how you treat your body and how you treat your time over the past five years. We have grown this into a community of just over 4,200 men all over the world. Again, helping recreate a belief system, helping to define a belief system, helping men get very, very clear on what they want in life and business. Our guys do all run companies and run businesses. 
And so helping get very, very clear on what it is that we say that we want, and then putting the frameworks uh, together to make that happen on a daily basis. So not sacrificing being a dad or a husband or a partner or a business owner or an athlete or a spiritual leader. We believe that you can have it all. And in having it all is, is creating a very, very clear definition of what that is, getting very clear on the quantifiables of that definition, and then putting that into a habit structure every single day. Again, I don't care what you say that you believe. I was a pastor for 13 years. Some would say that I still am. I know a lot of people that say they believe a lot of things and deny it by their entire lifestyle. You show me what you do, and I will show you what you actually believe to be true about yourself and the possibility and potential that's in front of you. So on the backside of that, um, I travel the country as a keynote speaker. Uh, I think I've been just about every state at this point, over 500 stages over the past 20 years. It's been a really fun time. Uh, a lot of what I talk about is, again, this whole idea of pain to power, this idea of show me what you do and I'll show you what you believe, removing emotional constructs from how we make decisions and how we make informed decisions in life and in business. Uh, I've been a part of some really cool M&A experiences, just shy of $500 million in mergers and acquisitions that I've assisted with on an interpersonal side uh, for some of the guys who are inside of our programs, um, connecting them to different C-suite uh, executives, helping to staff, helping to lead organizations and um, getting to have a really fun time doing it. The biggest thing, man, is I'm Stetson's dad. And so on a daily basis, that is the greatest gift in my life. So I am one of my son's wrestling coaches, baseball coaches. I'm homeroom dad. I'm on the PTA. I'm the only dad on the PTA, by the way, in the whole school, which is very weird. I will say the moms love it. Um, we have a good time. And uh, that that is the that is the thing for me. When I started my company, I did not want it to be at the sacrifice of my son. Yeah. And so, so many times we say that I'm building like, well, this is all for my kids. My kids are my why. The problem is kids didn't ever ask you to build a business. Kids didn't ever ask you to build a company. And so you working too much and being stressed and money is scarce and everything's tight. Like, and you place that on them and you say, this is all for you. So now they internalize it as it's their fault. Nah, nah. So I don't, my, my son isn't my why. My why is very, very simple. I can, so I do. I'm alive. So I do. And I don't build anything for my son. I build everything with him. So my son travels with me when I speak and, and it's appropriate. Like he can be out of school. He comes with me. He's been coast to coast. Uh, every one of my business partners knows him well. We do life together. All of our families do life together. If, if I can't do a deal in front of my son, I'm not doing the deal. If the kind of event that you run is not one that my son can be present at, then I will not speak at it. So I don't miss my son's events. That is the priority for me. I am in an amazing relationship with a woman I love very, very much. Um, we have an amazing life together. And again, <clears throat> I am proof that in five years, everything can change and everything can change for the better. Um, you can, again, do any kind of research on me, not to sound really pretentious. I said that the other day to Stetson's teacher because she saw my, she's yeah. like, okay, well, let's embrace the line. So I try to explain it. And uh, I said, well, it's probably easier. You can like, if you want to Google me and my son's mom was like, oh my gosh, are yeah. you serious? I'm like, I didn't mean it. Like I didn't mean yeah, it, pretentious, I but I write it makes for things Rolling, a lot easier. Though. I write for Rolling Stone. The Google me makes for, things a lot easier. I write, for, yeah, I write for Forbes. I write for Entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I'm like the first five pages of Google. Like, yeah. dude, and that's crazy. Listen, yeah. it's wild to me, dude. Like 2016, my last W2 in the church mm -hmm. was $33,000 for the year. 
Mm-hmm. I, we're talking balling on a budget. Yeah. But I didn't know any different. It was fine. And now, you know, we've, you know, I'm, I sit on the board of, you know, a, a few eight figure companies. We've, we've exited eight and nine figures. We've got one that's coming up over the next five years that we should be able to get a 10 figure exit on. Um, it is wild to me. Like every day I'm like, this is my life. This is absolutely insane. Now I'm able to do the things that I am and I'm able to create the synergy because I'm very, very clear on the green lights for me. I'm very clear on what my objectives are. I'm very clear on what I want. I'm very clear on what it takes to get there. Very clear on my habit structures. I'm very clear on my priorities with my family being at the top of that. And so when you can get very, very clear on who it is that you want to become, you get very, very clear on what it is that you want exactly. Don't tell me you just want to make more money. I'll just send you a dollar in the mail. Mm -hmm. I'm your guru, right? Very clear. And associate that to identity, right? So one of the things that we tell our guys to do is a lot of guys are like, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. It's great. I get it. You want to get rid of that dad bod? Love it. But then you lose it. Then what? Yeah. So we have to we have to create an identity of this is who I am. So this is what I do. No, I'm an yeah, athlete. And this is how athletes perform. This is how I eat. This is how I train. This is how I sleep. This is how I love. This is how, this is how I respect myself. Now, it's just I haven't gotten this 20 off yet. But as I do, I'm confirming my identity so that this never changes. I love that. I love that so much. And that's something that I, you know, believe in deeply myself with regards to people who are looking to make certain changes. It's like, okay, you can, you can change these things, but are you create, are you changing it in a sustainable fashion? Are you changing it in a way that you can maintain? Um, And, you know, yeah, you might want to look good for summer, but are you going to look good the following winter? Because at the end of the day, like the, the longer term effect is what means way more. That's it. And so even as a husband or as a father, right? Like, I want to be a good dad. Well, what is a good dad? Yeah. What is that? And are you doing it in a way where, you know, you can continue to be a good dad and not just be a good dad, you know, in the next month or two months. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to build a set. I want want to hit seven figures. I'm like, dude, you make $50,000 a year right now. You don't even know what that means. You know, you have no idea. You just want what you think it's going to make you feel based on what you see other people have. Yeah. But you don't know the the trouble Which, that comes with maintaining. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. God, no. You don't know the asks that come with maintaining. Right. You, don't you don't know, know the stresses. The, yeah. The demands know. on your time, who you have to become, what you need to know, what you need to learn, who you need to hire. Yeah. Right. Um, like you don't know these things yet, but you start to surround yourself. So for me, one of the catalysts for me is putting myself in the right rooms. In 2017, two weeks after I stepped out of ministry, I literally stepped into a conference for entrepreneurs, not knowing anyone. And by the end of that, knowing everyone, pastor playbook, like I just, I'm going to get to know you and your story. And, and that has been the catalyst for me is putting myself in the right rooms, investing in the right rooms. I will pay to play any day of the week to get in the right rooms and to get around the right people so that I can go faster and go further. Cody, there's so many ways that I can kind of narrow this down. And I keep, you know, I, I want to make sure that I hit something important. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to okay. ask you to answer it however, which way you want to. Okay. At some point, your son is going to be old enough to yeah. digest a, everything that you had gone through. And yeah. he's going to see, you know, the level of tragedy that you had faced during this transitionary period in life. Yeah. How do you anticipate that conversation is going to go from a, a father son perspective. Um, and you know, what do you want him to remember your journey for and, and kind of walk away with long past you're gone. Yeah. 
It's a great question. One, I don't know that it'll be a single conversation. Sure. I think it'll be a series of conversations and a natural evolution of conversation. One that I'm present to. My son is going to see the shortcomings of a man who is like he is now as he becomes a man. And the hope and my transparency in the ownership of how I've lived my life, the good, the not so great, the learning lessons, is that he takes that and he catalogs it as a as a field map and as a field journal, a field manual to his own life that long after I'm gone, he will remember the intentionality, the presence, the certainty, the confidence, the humility, the generosity that his father daily took steps to embody. And even now when I get things wrong, we talk about it. I want him to know where I'm learning. Even at eight years old, there are things that he can't comprehend, but there are things that he absolutely can. He's very, very intelligent. I don't think there's any greater gift that you can give a child than presence and undivided attention, affection, um, accountability, frameworks. Um, and so for me, those will be the things that I believe that he will carry with him. That his dad was a man of integrity. That his man, that his dad saw people, knew people, and loved people. And love them enough to push them past their comfort, but never at the sacrifice of his family or his own personal health. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and I think, you know, for all the listeners out there, it's really important to understand the time frame of this session does not do justice to Cody's journey. Cody's been through uh, a tremendous amount of growth, transition, um, reshaping, understanding. Um, he's taken all the adversity he's been through in a short period of time and turned it around in a way um, where he's truly living out his purpose. And, and his uh, pit to peak trajectory um, is extremely unique. So I urge you all to make sure that you, you, know, you look him up after this recording and um, take note of the example that he's setting and, and, and his uh, way of, of shining a light on this world. Thank you so much for joining today, Cody. Absolutely. And listen, it, it, to the listener, if you want more of this, if you're like, man, like we're just getting started and this has been an hour and we need more, I'll come back on the show. We can chop it up again. You just need to message and you need to message either Bashor, you need to message me and say, we just listened to it. I got to have more. I love that. We get enough and we'll do another it. one. We'll it do would be my one. pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.